All right, now let's jump back into our content for the day. Last week, we started a series called Come and See, and we're talking about this very simple invitation to follow Jesus. Like, that's where the journey begins. It begins with come and see, come and see. Come and see for yourself, not what you've heard, not what other people have told you, but come and see Jesus with your own eyes. Uh, and that invitation is true for everyone. So maybe you're like a person that's skeptical of faith. You're not buying the Christianity thing. You've got objections and say, well, look at all the damage that's been done uh, in the name of the church or Christianity or just organized religion or whatever. And I get that. And that is legitimate. Trust me, so much uh, just evil <laughs> has been done in the name of uh, organized religion and specifically even like the church and Christianity. But what I'm, what I'm, the invitation, what I'm getting at is, it's not an invitation to any of that. It's come and see Jesus for yourself. Not what someone else told you, what you read on, on, you know, on the internet, on a Reddit, you know, people ranting, what some really smart guy said on a YouTube video, but like be intellectually honest and say, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna decide for myself. I wanna come and see. So as for that group of people, but it's also, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, this drives me crazy about Christians and, and our Christian faith, um, is don't just take someone else's word for it. You know, like, don't take my word for it or your church or your church growing up or your family of origin or whatever, but come and see Jesus for yourself. That's the invitation. And the cool thing is when we do that, we're following him, we get to invite others to do the very same thing. We extend the, the same simple invitation of, hey, come and see for yourself. I don't have all the answers, and I'm not going to try to argue, try to convince you of anything. I just want to invite you, come and see. Come and see. And so, uh, so that's what we're talking about. You know, we, uh, last week we looked at the first disciples who started following Jesus. And, you know, they were some guys that they were really looking for who would be their Messiah. They, they, they were looking for that. Generations of their people had been looking and waiting. Um, and so when Jesus shows up, they go, oh, you the, you're the one that we've, we've been waiting for. Um, and we've heard about you, you know, like there's kind of been a murmur that's been starting to grow and we're going to check you out for ourselves. The person that we're going to encounter today has a very different story uh, than what we looked at last week. This is someone who wasn't really on the lookout for Jesus. She was just minding her own business and then Jesus shows up and changed everything for her. This might be one of my favorite encounters in the gospel because of how radical it is and how just insane, um, just the category shattering this encounter is. It's an encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well, or sometimes called the Samaritan woman because she was a Samaritan woman. They meet at a well, so kind of goes by both of those things. Uh, before we jump into the text, it is going to be in uh, the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 4. So if you want to go there and get ready, I would encourage you to do that and listen. I know the words are on the screen, uh, but I really would encourage you to grab a Bible, get it open in front of you, because again, I, I, we want to we be people that can go and see for ourselves, not just take um, our, just our church's word for it. So if you've got a Bible, grab a Bible, follow along on the screen. As you're going to John chapter 4, let me give you a little bit of context first. Uh, this is a Samaritan woman, and so the Samaritans and the Jews, there is a ton of, of uh, ethnic animosity and hatred between these two groups. Um, in, the, in the history of the nation of Israel, so the nation of Israel is what is contained in what we would call like the, like their history is what we would call, it's in the Old Testament. It's their Jewish scripture. It's got their story and how God was working in and through them and using them. Uh, and and we, we discover that when the nation, the nation kind of goes through a hard time and they split into two nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, but eventually both kingdoms fall. They're conquered by foreign nations. First the nation of Assyria and then Babylon. 
And when these foreign nations come in, uh, they, they take a lot of people out of the nation of Israel and carry them back to Assyria. They carry them back to Babylon, but they leave a lot of the Israelites in the land. However, they're not the only ones in the land. A lot of Gentile peoples are moved in as well. And Gentile is just anybody who's not Jewish. Uh, and so you have some of these Israelites who are there, and you have these Gentile peoples who are there. And some of them start intermarrying and having children together. This was a, a big no-no for the Jewish people. They weren't supposed to do that. They weren't supposed to intermarry with the foreign peoples. They were supposed to uh, just stay among their, their own people group, their own ethnic group. And, and so, man, the, this causes a lot of problems. So the, the, the Jewish people and the Gentile people that intermarry and have kids, those kids, the, that becomes the Samaritans. And so... The Jewish people that, that you know, remain just you know, marrying other Jews and having children there, they looked at the Samaritans as, as, as kind of like an abomination. They were, they were half-breeds. Uh, they, were, uh, they were unclean. They hated them. Um, and so that hatred was then reciprocated. The Samaritans did not like the Jews either. And this is going on by the time we get to this encounter with Jesus and this woman at the well. It's going on for hundreds of years. And so there's just this animosity that's been building, that's been brewing. So there's an ethnic hatred, but there's also, you know, major theological differences that come out of that as well. They viewed scripture differently and which parts they accepted, which parts they didn't. Um, they view worship differently. The Jewish people are like, well, the temple's in Jerusalem, so that's where we worship. Uh, the Samaritan people are like, well, we've got a temple up on Mount Gerizim, that's where we worship. So uh, difference in, in theology and religion. Uh, cleanliness was a big thing. Jewish people saw the Samaritans as unclean meaning you, know, you don't go around them, you don't touch them, you don't eat after them, you don't go into their homes uh, because they're unclean. And if you do that, it'll make you unclean, like ceremonially, religiously unclean. So much so uh, that there was kind of this, this thinking that the land that the Samaritans lived in was even unclean. It's like they poisoned the land. And so Jewish people would avoid going through uh, Samaria if they could. Um, they would travel around that area and not through it. And we're going to actually see that happening in this, uh, this encounter. So that, that's one bit of context we need to understand. The other little bit of context that's interesting is just how John has structured his gospel. Because uh, we're going to look at John chapter 4, which comes right after John chapter 3. I don't think that's like earth-shattering news. But in John chapter 3, it's, it's pretty fam some pretty famous verses found in John 3. Jesus is having an interaction uh, with a you know, a kind of high-ranking Jewish man. He's a religious leader. His name's Nicodemus. So he's like an important Jewish man. He comes to Jesus, and he's asking him about eternal life. He's like, man, we, we recognize that you're from God, and you're doing all these things. Uh, and they have this discussion, and a lot of the discussion centers on the idea of the Spirit, like the Holy Spirit. Uh, and Jesus says, like, you got to be born of the Spirit. And in order to be part of God's kingdom, you have to be born uh, of the Spirit. And so then within that, that conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus are having, John the gospel writer kind of pulls out of that conversation and says, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his only son, right? John 3.16, most famous verse like in the Bible. He says that God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. And, and so Jesus and Nicodemus having this conversation about the spirit and being born of the spirit, being born again to be part of the kingdom, and then John saying, oh, by the way, God loved the whole world so much. It's not just a Jewish thing. It's bigger than just the Jewish people. It's the whole world, and he sent his son. He sent Jesus to do something for the whole world, and then that kind of plays out. 
as we turn the page and we see Jesus going and having this interaction with the Samaritan woman. So with all that setting this up, let's jump in. Let's talk about this together. John chapter 4, starting in verse 3, uh, here is, is what we read. Uh, that, that he, that's Jesus, and his disciples are with him too, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria. Uh, no, he really didn't have to go through Samaria, at least not in terms of geography or logistics. Um, it was not uncommon for the Jewish people to go out and around Samaria so they didn't have to go through it. When John says he had to go through Samaria, he's not just talking about just like a plain reading of, well, that's the only way. This is about, no, Jesus had to go through Samaria because John's going like, hey, dear reader, don't you understand what I just said, that he loved the whole world? He has to go through Samaria because this is a missional thing. This is a Jesus going like, this is what I'm here to do. Uh, so he goes through Samaria, continuing on, verse 5. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. It's kind of referring back to some things that happened in the book of Genesis. Uh, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon and when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. All right, let's, let's break this down for a second. It's noon. It's the middle of the day. Um, and this is the Middle East that we're talking about. It's blazing hot. Uh, going to draw water was not something you did in the middle of the day. The women in the village would have gone out in the morning, first part of the day, to get the water that they needed for the day. They'd go out before it got hot. I mean, I, I, I've never been in that part of the world uh, in the, the heat of the day, but I imagine it is hot. I mean, shoot, even in just like summertime around here, some days it's like, I'm getting everything I need to get done before like 8 o'clock in the morning because it gets so hot. So that's kind of like the same thing. They would go out and like, let's head out to the well, carry the heavy things of water back before it gets hot. Not this woman, though. She goes out in the middle of the day. And we're going to learn a little bit about her story, about why she does that. But what we're starting to pick up on is that she goes out in the middle of the day because nobody else will be there. Because this woman is an outcast. She's an outsider. The people of her village, they don't want her around. And she probably doesn't want to be around them either. And so it's like every day her routine is just, I'm just going to go out and get my water when nobody's there. I'm going to go out and get my water when, when nobody's there. And, and can you imagine on this particular day when she's walking towards the well, she's just doing her thing, minding her own business, and there's somebody there. And I doubt this is how she would have thought it or said it, but this is in my, my mind how, how it plays out and how I would probably express it. It's like, I didn't need this today. Like, come on, like, this is, the, this is the last thing I needed. You know, I'm walking out, I want to get water. The, the last thing I needed was someone to be out there. Great, great. And so maybe she's thinking, let me just keep my head down. Let me just go about my business. Let me just get my water and get on with my day. Maybe nothing will come of it. And I can get back to business as usual. Little did she know, business as usual would never exist again for her. And Jesus engages her in a conversation. And he says to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
All right, and so we're, we're seeing this, what we talked about a, a few minutes ago, we're seeing this start to play out. Like, okay, she's like, look, you're, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Okay, because the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't, we don't get along. We don't associate with each other. We don't talk to one another. So, so that's kind of strike one. Here, here's, here's one reason why this, this, this conversation shouldn't be happening right now. And one of, the, one of the things that makes this so crazy, so radical, is number one, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. What are you doing? Why are you talking to me? And then, number two, not just that you're talking to me, but the nature of the thing that you're asking for. Jesus is asking her for a drink, meaning I want you with your dirty, you know, unclean in the eyes of the Jewish people, nasty Samaritan hands, ooh, we don't like you, you're dirty, you're unclean, to, to grab your cup or your bucket or your pitcher or whatever that you drink out of, that you use every day, and I want you to give it to me and I'm going to take a drink out of it. Like, that's what Jesus is asking her to do. Will you give me a drink? I want to drink out of your cup. This is strike two of like, this is insane. This conversation shouldn't be happening. Jesus, what are you doing? Because she's a Samaritan. You should see her as unclean. And if you touch and, God forbid, you drink after her, you're going to be unclean too. Like, this is crazy. Although, that's not how Jesus operates. We, we see him, man, throughout the gospels, like going to people and touching people and healing people who were considered unclean. But whenever Jesus touched unclean people, he didn't get unclean. They got healed. They got clean. And, but this woman doesn't know that. She's like, I, I, this is, I've never met this guy before. I have no idea who this is. It's just some random dude at a well, but I know he's Jewish. How can you, Jews and Samaritans, we, we don't talk to one another. That's one thing crazy about this, this conversation. Number two is you can't drink after me. That's another thing crazy about this conversation. And number three, she, she makes a point to say, you know, you're a man and I'm a woman. It's another kind of one of those, well, duh moments. But, but men and women, they, they don't talk to each other in public in this, in this culture. Like you, you don't talk, if you're a man, you don't talk to women in public. Not unless it is your wife or a daughter, or, you know, a relative. And even that, that's, that's kind of iffy, that's kind of rare. Like, you just don't go up to a random, like, a stranger at a well and say, hey, what's up? Like, men and women just did not interact on that level at this time. This is radical. Jesus is shattering so many categories, cultural, religious, uh, interpersonal. He's just like, I don't care about the categories. Will you give me a drink? This is, this is just a picture of the radical acceptance of Jesus, of him saying, I don't care about the barriers and the categories that, that culture has put in place, that religion has put in place. Jesus has a, a singular focus, and that is on the person that he is engaging with, that he sees them as someone who is made in the image of God that is worthy of dignity and love and respect. That's what he sees. He's like, I don't care about the cultural religious categories. I see a woman who needs something. And it's this radical kind of acceptance of Jesus that actually opens up the door for him to have the conversation with her that he's about to have. And we see that playing out throughout the Gospels, that, that Jesus front loads his conversations with the outcasts and the sinners and the prostitutes and tax collectors. He front loads those conversations with grace. He front loads those conversations with, I'm not, you know what, like, I don't want to talk about your sin and all the ways you've messed up and all the ways that people hate you. Let's not talk about that. I just want to come to your house for dinner and let you know that I love you. 
Like that's where, where Jesus begins, and it's that posture that then allows him to have difficult conversations with people. It's that posture that allows him to, to, to enter into people's lives and, and do a work in their life. And so he breaks all these categories, just a way of like just stepping into this woman's world almost. Saying, hey, will you give me a drink? And she's like, whoa, 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 what is happening right now? And Jesus responds. Uh, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked you, and he would have given you living water. And sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Uh, and Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And so Jesus isn't talking about physical water, but, but she's not getting that. It's just like there's a disconnect there. She thinks he's just talking about the water that's like there in the well or maybe in some other well. Um, and Jesus is talking about something more. And it's easy for us to be like, well, obviously he's talking about something more. But we have the benefit of hindsight, of knowing the story, of being like, oh, this is Jesus. Listen, if, if we were in this woman's shoes... I have no idea who Jesus is. I've never met this guy before, and we're sitting at a well, and he's talking about water. What kind of water are we going to think he's talking about? Well, the stuff that's in the bottom of this well or the stuff that's in a well somewhere else. But he, he's talking about something more. He's talking about, he says, no, 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 this is, this is living water. There, there's some, this is more than just the water that's in that well. He's talking about himself. And specifically, he's talking about like his indwelling presence. He's talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He's like, look, I want to offer you something that, that is going to be inside of you, that's going to give you life, that's going to quench your thirst, that's going to spring up to eternal life, but she can't get past the physical. It's interesting because this is like the very same thing that happened to Nicodemus, the important religious leader, the chapter before. He can't get past the physical. Like Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And he's like, well, how can I be born again? Am I supposed to like crawl back up in my mother's womb? Like, how does that work? And she's like, no, 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 no. Born of the spirit. And she's like, well, give me some of this water so I don't get thirsty, so I don't get physically thirsty. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's not the water I'm talking about, living Water. I'm offering you myself. I'm offering you like my in, the indwelling power of my spirit to live within you and to satisfy you. That's what he's getting at. That's the offer that's on the table. Hey, you're thirsty. I'm offering you something that will satisfy. I'm offering myself. And so he maybe tries a little bit of a different angle. He told her, this is verse 16, go, go get your husband and come back. Go get your husband to come back. You know, hey, maybe, um, yeah, you know, I, I know, maybe I was a little too radical and I pushed the boundaries too far. Maybe you're not comfortable talking to me. I'm just making this up, by the way. Like, this is just the dialogue that's going on in my head. And so go get your husband. All three of us will talk. You know, we'll have a conversation. We'll figure this thing out. Go get your husband and, and come back here. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five. 
husbands. And the man that you now have, he's not your husband. What you've said is quite true. And there it is. Now we discover why this woman is an outcast. Now, now we discover why she's going out to the well in the middle of the day when nobody else is around. Because she had a reputation. She was known for something and it wasn't good. She, she, she was the person in the community that when anybody saw her, you know, they crossed over to the other side of the road so they didn't have to see her. Everybody that bounced their eyes when, and refused to make eye contact, she was the one that everybody whispered about. She was the one with the reputation. Oh, don't you know who that is and what she's done and what she's like? That's who this woman was. And listen, being, being divorced once, being divorced once and remarried in that culture, that was scandalous. But five times... That was unheard of. That, that, was, that was insane. And, and in, this, the, in this culture, women, they were, they were basically property. They were there for a few things. One, to, to bear children for the men, to carry on you know, the, the name and the, the lineage and the family. Give men children, take care of things at home. That was their role. They were seen as, as property. And so when a respectable, upright, like when a good guy, like when a respectable man um, got to the point where he's looking for a wife and he wants to get married, he's looking for someone that can give him children, looking for someone that can kind of hold down the household. Uh, and so the, the idea was you go and you find a young virgin. That's who respectable men went and looked for. And she obviously wasn't that. She was, she was not that. She was not the ideal, uh, you know, respectable guys looking to settle down and, and, and marry someone who can have kids for him and, and take care of his house. That's not who she was. And so I, I think it's safe to assume a couple of things about this woman. Number one, the guys that she was with, that she had been married to, would probably not fall into the category of respectable and upright men. Because if she wasn't a young virgin who is going to bury, give you children and, and take care of, of, of the house and hold things down at home, that's not the type that she was. Then, then she was only good for one thing, most likely, in the eyes of the men that married her. These were not good guys. She, she was seen as, as good for, for one thing, to use her and then discard her because, after all, she's just property. That is who this woman was. That, that, is, that is her story. That is her shame. That is her pain. That is what she carries with her every day and goes out to a well and says, I'm getting this water and going back to my horrible existence. I know what people say about me. I know how it makes me feel, but that's just who I am. That's who this woman is. And Jesus doesn't call her out on it. He doesn't make it a point to parade it around. It doesn't, you know, make a point to say, hey, don't you know that you shouldn't be doing that? Trust me, she knew. He just lets, kinda, he just lets her know, hey, I just want you to know that I know about you. Because, look, it's, it's one thing for me to break all these categories, uh, you know, if you were a good and upright, you know, woman. But obviously in the eyes of everybody, you're not that. And I want you to know that I'm aware of all of that. But none of that changed how I treated you. I, I, I like the woman's response because I think we responded to Jesus often in the same way. She says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Mm -hmm. 
Well, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we have to worship is in Jerusalem. And so he's like, well, we worship on this mountain, this Mount Gerizim over here. We got our little temple up on Mount Gerizim. And, and you Jewish people, you say we got we to gotta worship at the temple in Jerusalem. So tell me about that, will you? She's just like, I'm changing the subject. Jesus, you're, you're, getting, you're getting a little too close to my personal business. You're, 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 you're getting too personal for me. You're getting too close for me. You're, you're messing with me a little bit. So can we just talk about religious things? Can, can, we just, can we talk about religious things? Can we just debate theology? Let's do that instead. And man, we do the same thing all the time. Uh, it's, it's uncomfortable getting personal with Jesus. It's uncomfortable letting him have his way with us. So let's just play it safe and let's talk religion. Let's talk structure. Let's talk tradition. Let's talk about all these things. And maybe I can just keep Jesus at a distance. I love what Jesus does because he's like, okay, if that's the direction you want to go, we can talk about that stuff. But trust me, I'm going to bring it right back around to what we need to talk about. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews, the Messiah, Jesus, he's coming from the Jewish people. And yet, a time is coming and has now come. It's here. It's here. The time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. And so Jesus is like, forget, forget about the temple debate, whether it's on your mountain or the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, you know, listen, God is spirit. He, he's, he's everywhere. He can't be, he can't be just kind of relegated to one place. It's like, oh, you got to worship. You can only worship God there. It's like, no, he, he is everywhere. He's the God of the whole universe. He's the God of every people. I'm here to do something for all people. And so he says, you got to worship in spirit. We're going to get back to this discussion that I'm having with you about living water. What, you know, whatever, whatever way you want to go, you want to do it the roundabout way, we want to talk about religious things, we can do that. So let's, let's talk about the Spirit. Let, let's talk about how God is Spirit and He wants people to worship in Spirit. And let, let's, let's talk about how God is He's everywhere. Um, you need to worship of the Spirit just like He told Nicodemus. You need to be born of the Spirit. He's telling her you need to have living water inside of you. Look, it's not about where you're going to worship. It's not about whatever religious traditions that you're holding, whatever rules you think you need to follow. It's about there's something that, that here's how true worship happens. Something happens inside of you that, that, that brings you this connection to God and ushers you into his kingdom. And hey, that's what I'm trying to offer you. And, and it's like the woman's just like, I'm not, ha I'm not having it because now you're just confusing me. It can, can we just move on? You know, you ever been, I mean, I've never done this, but you ever been in a conversation with someone where you're like, can I just change the subject and maybe we can leave? Like, cause I've got to be somewhere. <laughs> and so the woman in verse 25, she says, well, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything. He'll explain everything. So it's like, okay, change the subject again. I really got to get back with my water. Um, well, you, you can say whatever you want. That's interesting. I'm waiting for the Messiah. When he gets here, it'll all be, it'll all be clear. And then Jesus just says, okay, if that, let's cut straight to the point then. He says, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. 
You're right. When the Messiah shows up, he's going to explain all of that to, to everyone. He's going to make it really, really clear, like all this worshiping in the spirit stuff and, uh, and what is God like. And, and he said, yep, the Messiah is going to explain all that. Oh, and, oh, by the way, that's me. That's me. The one that is standing face to face with you. The one that you are seeing with your own eyes. I'm what you've been looking for. At this point, the, the disciples come back into the, into the picture. <laughs> it's like they just kind of stand there awkwardly. It's like they, it says that they come back and, and no one dared say anything like, hey, why is this woman here? Why are you talking to her? I can imagine they're just kind of awkwardly on the side like, you ask him what she's doing here. I'm not talking. You, you do it, right? Like no one wants to be like, oh, so Jesus, why is the, we heard about this woman in town. Why are you talking to the adulterous Samaritan woman? Nobody's saying that. So they kind of come back and, and they're standing off to the side. And it's like, it's like in this moment, the interaction that this woman has had with Jesus, it's settling in on her. You know, I can just, I can imagine in, in her mind, like she, she, the words are ringing in her ear that I, the one speaking to you, I am he, I am the Messiah. And she's playing back the conversation and she's realizing, okay, this is who we've been waiting for. This is the one, you know, the scripture has, talks about him. The Jewish people, they believe in him. They talk about him all the time. And, and the one that we've been looking for, and he's here and I'm face to face with him. And oh my gosh, he knows everything about me. He knows what I did last night, last week, last summer. He knows about my husbands. He knows about the guy that I'm with now. He knows about everything in my life and my insecurities and what the people back in that village say about me. He knows everything about me. My junk, my baggage, my sin, my shame, my insecurity. And yet, he sat down at a well. He engaged in a conversation with me. He asked for a drink. He showed me dignity and respect. He loved me. And he said something about living water, eternal life, and, and offering something that would satisfy like the deepest part of me. And that is what this passage and this account, that's what this is about. Like this... This isn't an account about the woman's sin, although sometimes that's what we like to do with it. Like, oh yeah, she was a sinful woman and Jesus looked past that. Yeah, that's there and that's important. But this isn't about her sin. It's about her thirst. Like, like the issue in this passage isn't the sin in this woman's life. It's the thirst that she has. It's about her thirst, and she's, she's looking for something to quench her thirst, both physically, she's coming out for water, so you got that picture going on, but there's something more, there's something under the surface, and Jesus recognizes, hey, you're thirsty for something, and you keep looking thing, for things to satisfy that thirst. I want to offer you what will satisfy your thirst. You've been looking for things to quench it, and you're still thirsty. And it's led you down a path and led you into a life that's, that's left you more thirsty, that's left you broken, that's left you alone, that's left you hurting. And so often we end up doing the same things. We're looking for things to quench our thirst. Man, I am so thirsty. I need something to satisfy and I can't seem to find it. Or I find something that quenches it for a little while, but I come back and I'm even more thirsty than I was before. And we end up going after things and chasing after things that that leave us broken and, and hurting and, and alone and, and, and just wrecked by our sin. And, and here's what we do. Like, man, 
Like, we, we can address the sin issues all day long, and the church is so good at this. Religion is so good at this. It's like, let's talk about sin, and you shouldn't do that, and you should do this, and here's how you should live, and you've got to follow the rules, and we can talk about the sin issues all day long, and we can manage the sin issues so well. We can be like, I'm not going to do that anymore, and I'm going to, I'm going to do the right things, and I'm not going to do the wrong things, and, and, and we, can, we can address sin all day long and still be thirsty. But let's get to the heart of the matter. That's what Jesus does here. He says, nah, what, your sin, yeah, I, that, that's, I'm not saying that you're not, that you're not a sinner. That's not important, and we need to address that. But that's kind, of, that, that's kind of an ancillary issue. That's not the heart of the matter. Let's get to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is your thirst. I want to offer you something that will satisfy. And the sin stuff... That, that, that comes after. I'm going to satisfy you. And so this woman is changed. I mean, I, I, she, her, life, her life is just changed. Her thirst is quenched, and it's evident by her response. Check out what she does. Leaving, then leaving her water jar. So the whole reason that she was there was to come out and get water. And it's like, forget that. I found something even better. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said, to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She, she, runs, she runs back, look, look she, she runs back to the town, and what is her invitation? Come and see, come and see, come and see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Now, let's be honest, that's hyperbole, okay? Jesus didn't tell her everything you, she'd ever done. Okay, for breakfast today, you had this. Like, that's not how the conversation went. He didn't tell her everything about her. But he told her what was pertinent to the conversation. And she went and told the, the village what was pertinent to the conversation. They would, have, they, would have no, they would have had no doubt in their mind what she was talking about when she said, hey, come listen to a guy who told me everything that I had ever done. Because she may have done a lot of things, but she was known for one thing in particular. So come see this guy. He knows all about me. Guys, 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 come see this guy who told me everything I've ever done. He knows everything, he knows everything about me that all of you know about me. Come and see. Come and see. <laughs> I mean, think about that. I mean, maybe you've heard this passage before, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty significant. But like, she goes up to the very people. that, that it's, It seems like a huge part of her life is dedicated to trying to avoid these people. She doesn't want to be around them. They don't want to be around her. She goes out to the well in the middle of the day, and she's, she runs right up to these people and says, hey, hey, you guys. Come and see this guy. Come and see a man who's told me everything I'd ever done. He might, he might just be the Messiah. And what I would imagine is crazy to the people who are hearing this is that by her reaction and by what she's saying, it's like she sees this as good news. And I would imagine the question that they would have to her would be like, wait, 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 wait. How can it be good news that this guy knows all about you? Because that seems like bad news. Because we know all about you. How can it be? How, how are you taking this as a good thing that he knows all about you? And she's like, hey, just, just come and see. Come and see. 
Verse 30 says, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. The account concludes by, 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 with this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them for two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we have heard for ourselves and we know, we know, because we've seen it for ourselves, we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You see what happens? Did you see what happens here? This, this woman, she says, come and see. She's excited. She's excited about the fact that, that her sin and her pain and her past, she's excited that it's been discovered because in doing so, she's received something even better. Living water. And it's changed her. And it's evident to them that it changed her. And so she just, she just invites them. Hey, you... I don't even have answers. I just met the guy, but you got to come and see for yourselves. Don't take my word for it. Come and see. And they do. And what happens? When they come and see, did, did you catch the end? Did you catch what happened? They spend time with Jesus themselves. And what do they say? They say, well, we, we no longer believe just because you told us, but we've heard it for ourselves. In other words, your story, what changed in you, and your invitation got the ball rolling, but now we've seen it too. And we know that this man is the savior of the world. So that's two weeks in a row now that we've seen this idea of someone who says, I've seen Jesus, I have to tell someone about it. Last week, it was religious Jewish men who'd been searching their whole lives. Today, it's an outcast, adulterous woman doing what she does every day, not looking for anything. But in both cases, when these people see who Jesus is, their first reaction is to go and invite others in. Their first reaction is like, you got to come and see this. You got to come and see this. Here, here's one of the things, one of the many things that I love about this account. It is that her invitation to the people in her village was attached directly to her own story. Like her invitation was attached to her story. She says, come and see a man who knows everything I've ever done. He knows my pain. He knows my shame. He knows my sin. He knows, uh, he knows everything about me and he has replaced it with life. He knew my thirst and he's given me living water. He's changed my life. And undoubtedly, they could see that in her. And so she uses that as a launching pad, as an invitation for them to come and see. And it's just really, really hard to argue with a story. It's hard to argue with a story. See, I can... I can argue, you know, if you want to come at me with you know, theology or Bible verses or historical data or Christians doing terrible things all throughout history, like, that can be argued with. Like, it's easy to argue and say, well, yeah, but what about this? And what about this verse? And, and what about, you know, things that Christians have done throughout history? And, but it's really hard to argue with a changed life. 
Like when there is a tangible change in someone's life and I see it with my own eyes and they say, hey, look, the reason that I'm different is because I've met Jesus. I, I can't argue with that. Like I don't have to believe it. I don't have to say, well, I believe that's why you're changed, but I can't argue that your life is different than it used to be because like, I can see that that's true. That presents the opportunity to say to people, hey, come and see. This is my story. I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to convince you that it should be your story too, but just come and see for yourself. And one of the reasons I love that so much is because all of us have a story. I've got a story. You've got a story. We have a story of life before we met Jesus and a story now that we know him. And it should be evident to people that there's a difference in those two parts of our story. It should be evident to people that, 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 that there was a change that took place. Or if it's, you know, if it's people that have only known us in, you know, in the post-Jesus version of us, the post-Jesus part of our story, it should be evident that we are different than the people around us and the world around us. And that provides the opportunity for us to extend the simple, come and see. Come and see. Come and see this guy that knows everything about me that changed. And in spite of knowing everything about me, he showed me this radical acceptance. And, 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 and he's give, there's something within me now. There's a living water. And, it's, it's, it's what, and what you're seeing on the outside is the, just the outflow of that. So come and see for yourself. You've got a story. You need to share it. Share it. Like just let people see your story. Let them in on your story. Tell, you, tell them a little bit about your story and then invite others to come and see for themselves. No pressure, no sales pitch, no convincing. Just Jesus changed my life. Come and see. There's two just great opportunities coming up in the next couple of weeks to invite people to come and see. The first thing is our Easter experience. Next week, invite some people. Say, hey, will you, you, you want to come to church for Easter with me? It's a simple invitation. Just, hey, just, just come with me. It's a way of saying, come and see. We're gathering back on site. You want to come with me for that? Come and see. And if you've got someone to say, well, I would love to, but I'm just not ready to be back in a group of people yet, that's absolutely fine. Then you just switch the invitation up and say, hey, well, what if you come over to my house? Just, it's just me and, and you, maybe a couple other people, uh, and we'll, we'll do church online. We'll hang out. We can talk about it together. In fact, if you were planning on, on coming to an on-site, our on-site Easter service, uh, but you got someone who is willing to watch with you at home, we would rather you stay home than, than come on, on site because that's, that's what it's about. It's about inviting other people in to come and see. So Easter is a great invite opportunity. And then we've got another session of Alpha starting up on April 20th. Uh, it's going to be incredible. The first session of Alpha was incredible. I know that lives were changed and impacted, and, and those that went through it are so excited that they're looking forward to inviting other, that they're going to go through it again and invite other people uh, into it on this next session. And so, man, maybe that's you. Jump in and invite someone to go through it with you. Just extend that invitation to come and see, hey, maybe you've seen my life from a distance. You've heard about my story. Now, come and see why my story is what it is. Come and see Jesus. And when you do that, you'll get to be a part of someone else's story. You'll get to be a part of a story where someday they say, like the people of the Samaritan village, where they say, hey, I no longer believe just because of what you said. 
or what you told me or the invitation that you extended. But no, 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 now, no, I believe now because I've seen for myself. I've heard for myself. And I know that, that Jesus, he is the savior of the world. God, we thank you for that incredible truth that you are the savior of the whole world, uh, that you've not come to, to condemn to condemn the world, but to save the world. We, God, we thank you that, that you have modeled in the person of Jesus just how good you are, that your, your love, your grace, your compassion, your, your acceptance, the way that you view us. God, we thank you for that and, and encounters that you had with, with people like this woman at the well. We thank you that you satisfy our thirst and our desires. We thank you for the offer of living water within us. I pray that we would be a people that, that it's just evident that that water is, is bubbling up in, it's flowing out of, that it's a well inside of us. It's springing up to eternal life. I pray that people around us would see that. Um, that we would be bold with sharing our story and saying, hey, there's a reason uh, that, that, that I've got what I've got and I live this way because of Jesus. Uh, and then we would just offer the simple invitation to come and see. We trust then that when they see you, their lives will be changed. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.